since its founding in the Willamette Valley of Oregon. In 1882, the Benedictine monks of Mount Angel Abbey have carried on the ancient monastic practices of work and prayer. Over the years, as the church's needs, expectations, and ideas about ministry have changed, so has the hilltop. Welcome to the history and tradition of Mount Angel Abbey. With an eye on the future, it's vital to understand the past. And here's your host, Pat Ryan, to explore this timeless journey. And we are so excited to have you join us for this very first edition of the podcast. With us from the hilltop is Brother Cyril, a Benedictine monk and Mount Angel Abbey historian. And brother, it only seems appropriate that we get started in prayer. You go, King, Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, today we remember the four blessed of Engelberg, the man who gave the property on which Engelberg Abbey is located in central Switzerland, and the first three abbots. They're all blessed. They're all exemplars of living the monastic life. Lord, we thank them for the 900 years plus that Engelberg Abbey has continued to live and praise you, and the fact that the Engelberg started our community here in 1882. Lord, we ask you to bless us in this interview that many people may be blessed by what they hear. Amen. Amen. Brother Cyril, I've been excited for our conversation, and we've been planning this for some time, and it's wonderful to finally get around to doing it. Indeed. So let's begin at the very start. What prompted the Benedictine monks of Engelbert Abbey in Switzerland to journey all the way to the United States back in 1882, and why did they settle in the Willamette Valley? That's actually a fairly long answer. Let me just give you a broad overview, and then we can pick it up from there. There had been a a civil war in Switzerland in the 1840s. It it only lasted about a month, but it set the pattern for the next few decades. So the Protestants and Catholics were fighting about how the government should be conducted, and the Protestants won the battle. And over the next several decades, the Catholics were under pressure. And part of that pressure led to closing monasteries and Engelberg, realized that we need to do something or our life here is going to end. And so they sent monks to America to set up a house of refuge in case the monastery got closed. How did they persist now? They're celebrating their 900th year of operation. So how did they endure through that civil war? What happened was this. The tensions decreased. By the time we got here, things were starting to decrease. And then within about a decade or so, they really had decreased to the point where there was no longer a threat. During the 1870s, there was definitely a threat. And that's why Engelberg Abbey sent monks over to America to establish a house of refuge. So I would assume it coming over, they would have landed on the East Coast. How did they wind up on the other side of the country in the Willamette Valley? I mentioned that the story in Switzerland had a little bit of complexity. Well, the story in America did, too. On the positive side, there were already Benedictines here, and so we learned from the German Benedictines who were in Pennsylvania, and then we learned from the Swiss Benedictines who were in Indiana, and then continued moving west. So the first house was established in northwest Missouri, and then the second house was us, was established in northwest Oregon. Okay, so it took a, a while 
to move across the country and to discover the Willamette Valley and choose that as a site to set up the monastery. And what attracted them to this specific area? From the 1830s, it was well known that the Willamette Valley is lush, is very verdant. And so that's what brought people out here on the Oregon Trail, is they realized that they could leave their places. Many of them were in the upper Midwest, but they didn't own their land. They could come out to the West. They could come to this fertile valley. They could have their own land and establish a new life here. And many people started to do that. And basically, we were simply part of that process of people coming to to the Willamette Valley because it's verdant and then establishing homesteads and establishing a life here. It's our initial podcast of the history and tradition of Mount Angel Abbey. I'm Pat Ryan. And joining us from the hilltop is Benedictine monk and historian Brother Cyril. Brother, what was the state of Catholicism like here in the Oregon Territory when the monks arrived? It, it was developing. Uh-huh. So Bishop Blanchette came out in the uh, 1830s. The first Mass was said in St. Paul, Oregon. That's about 20 miles northwest of us. And then he started to establish parishes in that very slowly. So by the time we got here, there was already a Catholic life developing. And so, in fact, in Mount Angel, the month before our founders arrived, they had built and had blessed a chapel, a church. Hmm. So they were, they were a mission of, of Woodburn, but they wanted to have their own priest. So when the monks came out here, they were very interested because then they could have a priest, they could have sisters, and they could have schools. And so that's what they asked for. And they provided a significant amount of money that said, we really want you here. I assume, though, there were some challenges that they have faced. Oh, many, many, many. This is the best way I have to describe that. So they saw the hill. The hill's about 250 feet tall, half mile wide, and two miles long. And they they went up on the top and saw the beautiful view. And and basically, between the people really wanting them, that's number one, and the beautiful location, they were basically sold on this place. Other places were considered, but this is the place they chose. So basically, imagine this. They had no land, although some was given, and then started to purchase some. Had no buildings no running water, no animals, and of course, at that time, 1880s, no electricity. So they're basically starting from scratch. So starting from scratch, what did they use for shelter? Well, they started about 10 miles from here in the little town of Jervis, because on the railroad tracks. So the monks stayed in a house provided by the parish, and the sisters stayed in a house provided by the town. And so, because, again, they they wanted Benedictines in this area. So Uh they provided and helped us to get a foothold, help us to get started. Now, there was a big fire that hit in 1892. Tell us a little bit about that and and the challenges that created. That was basically a defining moment. Turns out, lots of parishes, lots of places in the Northwest had built buildings out of wood. That was the cheapest way to build Many places across the country did the same thing. And when those buildings burned, many of them just, they, they quit. They moved elsewhere. But we had, we had already been here for 10 years. We had 
a school for boys. The sisters had a school for girls. And we had a seminary. So we needed to continue, and the people wanted us to continue. So the first thing, very practical, finding places to live. So people opened up their homes. The mm. sisters' bu- buildings were never damaged. And so they invited us to come there. And, but it turns out we were living all around the town and praying the, in the local church. And so as should we say, it was not an ideal circumstance, but people helped us to rebuild. And I think that's a key issue. We wouldn't be here if it weren't for many people supporting us to start and then to restart. Are there any structures that are left from that initial phase? Other than the sister's house, there is one building that survived through the 1892 fire. It is our little seminary chapel, which basically just has enough room for a casket and a few people to pray there. That was built in 1889. That's the only building that survived in the cemetery. Not nothing at the monastery. Uh huh. No, all those those were gone. And then they were at the build at the base of the hill, and the the buildings that we live in now were on the top of the hill. So no, those buildings didn't exist. Direct from the hilltop, he's Brother Cyril joining us for our initial podcast of the history and tradition of Mount Angel Abbey. I'm Pat Ryan. And tragedy struck again in 1926 with yet another fire on the hilltop. How did the monks recover from that second devastating fire as opposed to the very first one? And how did they keep the faith? We had a big building, five stories tall, made out of basalt blocks, and it caught fire. Some rags had spontaneous combustion. They lit up one room, and it proceeded to light up the rest of the rooms and ended up burning up the compound. What had happened was this. In the 1892 fire, it took us 11 years to rebuild, finding a place, putting together a plan, putting together the resources, and building the building. It took us 11 years. A number of monks who had gone through the 1926 fire had also gone through the 1892 fire and said, we can't do that again. Mm. So they put together a team. They came up with a plan, working with the architect within a few months, started to put together money. And then a lot of people, as with the 1892 fire, a lot of people made donations, Catholics and non-Catholics. They wanted us to rebuild. So the first fire, it took us 11 years to rebuild. The second fire, 18 months. It really speaks to how the community came together and the monks becoming a lot better organized. Oh, yeah. And so by that point, I mean, we had um, the seminary and a college. The college was really a focus for a lot of people. In fact, if you on the street that goes by, the road that goes by the base of the Abbey Hill is called College Street. Right. That was a big thing to have a college here. That was a very big thing. And so, like I said, people helped us to rebuild. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. So anything left on the grounds from that structure? Yes. So we have the press building and the business office building. That survived. We basically have have said we probably wouldn't have survived the second fire, except in the press building and the business office building, we had addresses for people around the country, and we had two national Catholic weeklies, and we could print them there. Uh-huh. And so we put 
petitions out across the country asking for funds to rebuild. So those two buildings are key to us surviving here. And then around the back garden of the present monastery are the blocks, the basalt blocks that were used to build the second monastery. They formed the wall around the backside of the abbey. That still exists. It's just, should we say, in a substantially different form. So in those buildings, just as an aside, there is a post office for St. Benedict, Oregon. Why is there a dedicated post office there? Remember I said that we had two national Catholic publications, Catholic weekly publications, one in German and one in English. The reason that we have the post office is because we were putting out such a volume of mail to send out those national Catholic weekly publications that we we were overwhelming the local post office. So we were allowed to establish a new post office, which is established in 1914. And still in use today. Still in use today. <laughs> we're visiting with Benedictine Monk and Mount Angel Abbey historian Brother Cyril on our first podcast of the history and tradition of Mount Angel Abbey. I'm Pat Ryan. Tell us a little bit about Mount Angel Abbey's legacy of hospitality that you provided to thousands and thousands of visitors over this time. The simplest answer to that, and how we continue to be, by God's grace, an island of peace in a sea of confusion, the simplest is people who simply come here, and many, many people. And it's quite delightful, people of all different backgrounds, Catholics, Protestants, other denominations, and other beliefs, and sometimes no belief. It's a beautiful place, so it's very attractive for people to come here, and many people of all ages. We have lots of children with their families that come, young people, middle-aged people, older people. It's just, it's an attractive place. So that's the first level of hospitality. The next level would be people who actually engage with the monks, possibly who join us in prayer use the library, or simply enjoy the peace and beauty of the grounds. Many people do that, and we've discovered many people do that on a regular basis. So this is truly an island of peace in a sea of confusion for them. Mm -hmm. And then we have a guest house, and then the seminary. And so each of those attracts a lot of people. And then our library, because that was a much later development that we have a significant library, but Each of those are touch points. Each of those are ways that we connect with the broader world. You mentioned the guest house. Tell us about that because it is truly an amazing structure. Oh, yeah. After the um, 1926 fire, we established the current monastery, the monastery building, and it was designed to separate what is to the east, which is the private area for the monks, and what is to the west, which is the public area for anyone to come. We had six guest rooms in that facility. They weren't uh, retreat house rooms. They were guest rooms, mostly for families and friends of monks. Hmm. Then in uh, the late 1950s, Abbot Damien realized we needed to have a guest house. And so in 1959, we finished the first version of the guest house, and that was for 32 rooms. Basically, it was for single men to make retreats. Over the decades, of course, that evolved a great deal. So we had women, we had families, we had various groups coming in. 
by the, the 20 teens, we realized that we really did, needed to update the guest house and add on because it had become very popular. And so that was what led to refurbishing the guest house and adding on a dozen more rooms. It's our initial podcast of the history and tradition of Mount Angel Abbey. And joining us from the hilltop is Benedictine monk and historian Brother Cyril. Brother, the Benedictines are known for their hospitality, and I was wondering if you could explain that legacy and that tradition to us, because it really goes above and beyond. You feel like you are being honored whenever you're staying there. I think the simplest answer to that is what Jesus said, that I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Mm. So for Benedictines, the way we describe that is to receive all guests as Christ. We see Christ in all people who come, regardless of their background. Men, women, we we regard all people, receive people as Christ. So it starts with what Jesus said. And then in the ancient monastic tradition, hospitality has been a big thing. Many times there were pilgrims that came. There were people who had various needs who came to monasteries. And so we would help them. So that's that's something that has developed over the centuries. And then in the... um, about the last 500 years in the church, retreats have become very common. And so moving from a guest house to a retreat house is a natural move. We already have the facilities for people to stay, and we can simply add some spiritual depth to that. They can pray with the monks. They can make retreats, private retreats or group retreats. There are so many beautiful spots on the hilltop, but I think for me, one of my favorites is that courtyard in front of the guest house, right in front of the bell tower. There's just something right right there that feels great sense of peace there. You live there. So can you pick a favorite spot on the hilltop where it's like, yeah, this is the one? There's, There's a number, but typically for me, I'm a mountaineer. And so I like to sit in places where there are mountain views. And that's on the north side of the hill, like between the library and one of the seminary buildings is a beautiful view looking out over the valley and Mount Hood. And then not far from there is a rooftop where you can sit out and look at the four volcanoes in the, in the local area and a broad vision of, of the Willamette Valley. So those, those are some favorite places. Well, that explains it. I've seen you praying your rosary. Oh, yeah. How do you envision that Mount Angel Abbey is going to continue into the future and service this island of peace in a sea of confusion? One is to have a future vision. So under Abbot Jeremy, he has established, basically working with the community, we have a number of different programs that we invite lots of people to attend. For example, for more than 50 years, we've had a Bach festival. That brings in hundreds of people at the end of each July. We have a St. Benedict Festival, which we started five or eight years ago. That's uh, at the beginning of July, around St. Benedict's Day, which is July 11th. And we have a variety of retreats um, and oblates. So we have over 600 oblates. So we have different gatherings for these different groups. So those, that's one way to look at it. Another is to have a future vision. So we, in the last few years, we've des- developed something called the Mount Angel Institute, and it deals with the, the vision of the Abbey, how the Abbey interacts with the world. And so there's, there's different 
aspects of that, many different aspects of that. And so we've identified those and we focus on each of those. And, we, and then we have our touch points. In other words, ways that people encounter the monks, ways that people encounter the monastic life, the Christian life, the monastic life. And so we basically emphasize each of those. That gives us a future vision and a way to proceed, a way to move forward. I think in this initial episode of our podcast, we've done a good job of talking about the early history and kind of an overview of where we're going in the future. But there's so many different areas to get into. I really look forward to delving into those more in depth as we move forward with this podcast, Brother Cyril. Very good. Could you close us in prayer? Of course. So, Lord, today we are in the Easter season, and we're celebrating the four blesseds of Engelberg. The monk, the man, became a monk who gave the land in central Switzerland, and the first three abbots. So that set a pattern for 900 years of monastic life in central Switzerland, of which we are beneficiaries. So we continue that tradition. Lord, we ask that you continue to bless us. And help us to bless our guests. Help us to bless the many people who come here, people who participate in liturgies through streaming services online, and people that connect with us in many different ways. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Brother Cyril. It's been wonderful to get this podcast started, and I can't wait to see where we go in the future. Thank you. What a great blessing. You've been listening to The History and Tradition of Mount Angel Abbey with your host, Pat Ryan. Join us again as we explore the dynamic past of the Benedictine monks of Mount Angel Abbey in Oregon. We'll return to the hilltop to uncover more stories about their monastic practices of work and prayer rooted deeply in the 1,500-year-old rule of St. Benedict. The History and Tradition of Mount Angel Abbey is produced at the studios of Mater Dei Radio in Portland, Oregon.